friends and welcome to Smart Loving Conversations, the place where we discuss all things Catholic marriage. I'm Francine Parola. And I'm Laura Kane from Smart Loving, a global network that accompanies couples as we together explore how to maximise the good times and learn from the bad ones. With our guests, we explore love, marriage, family and living the Catholic faith, setting our sights on heaven while keeping our feet on the ground or in the mud and muck that life throws our way. We've been there and so have our guests. Join us for better and for worse as we dive deep into real-life conversations of struggle and triumph. Welcome, friends and listeners of Radio Maria Australia. Our Smart Loving Conversation today is about forgiveness, what it is, what it isn't, how to do it, and why it's necessary. We don't have a guest this week. It will just be Francine and I, but we're so pleased that you're here, friends. So, Francine, how has your walk been with the Lord these past days? Well, I've been really, I guess, challenged a little bit. There's been quite a lot of caregiving calls on me with our granddaughters. We had another a third granddaughter um, late last year, and the parents, God bless them, have had a lot of sickness and so there's been a lot of emergency call outs and I was finding myself feeling quite agitated and resentful and so I've just been sitting with the Lord a little bit around you know what's going on there for me is it a boundary violation is it just that I'm resistant to surrendering my life over to the Lord is this where the Lord's calling me all of those things around just the tension between the desire to do and engage in activities that feel more productive versus those beautiful life-giving activities of caring for infants and children and supporting family members. So anyway, that's where I'm at at the moment. I don't have any answers. It's a bit uncomfortable, actually, but that's where that's where I'm at. Yeah, well, with myself, I've had a few death notices and I went to a funeral the other day of my, my next-door neighbour's father passed away. And then there have been several pregnancy announcements and I, I myself am pregnant. So I've just been thinking about like all the seasons. And so, you know, it was a beautiful service for my my friend's father. And there's a season to mourn and then a season to rejoice. And, mm. uh, you know, just reflecting on, you know, the Lord gives and he also takes away. But we should always, blessed be the name of the Lord, we should always you know pray praise God in all all those seasons and that's really the challenge isn't it to give him thanks regardless of whether it's something that feels rewarding and joyful or something that feels challenging and and difficult it's to give him thanks for for it all as St Paul tells us to do so let's dive into our topic shall we forgiveness yes we want to start today by just unpacking a little bit about emotional injuries and the role that they play because obviously the emotional injury is the thing that precedes the need for forgiveness or the process of forgiveness and I guess we've all got someone to forgive and it's part of the human condition we're from children from our childhood into our adult relationships particularly our intimate relationships there's always going to be a measure of hurt or woundedness that we will encounter just through our ordinary human interactions these emotional injuries can lead us to hurt others. So it's a little bit like when we're hurt and wounded and we haven't brought it to the Lord for healing, we can often end up hurting other people. And I don't want to go on too long about it, but the very public case of this that we can see and very easily because we're observing it is this case of sort of Prince Harry. He's a deeply wounded man and he's just going out in public and running it out in public and he's wounding his family with the things that he's saying. And it's not to say that he isn't, you know, his wounds are not important, 
But that whole, it's a really public example, I think, of what we all do to a certain extent, is that when we're hurt and wounded, we tend to hurt others. And those injuries that we get that drive that kind of hurting of others, it can be from something that was intentional or accidental. It can be a very deliberate or specific thing, or it can be something just a vague neglect. It can come from trauma. It can come from the sin of another. Or it can just be something that happens to us that isn't, wasn't because of any individual, such as an illness or an accident and so on. But whatever it is that, I guess, creates that sense of hurt or woundedness within us, the reason why forgiveness is important is because forgiveness is the gateway to healing. And if we fail to take that pathway, we end up hurting others. A, a simple example that I can see in pattern in my life is that whenever I get frustrated with Byron, he might you know, just do or say something a little bit carelessly and I'd be frustrated or hurt with him, it manifested in really harsh and demanding kind of interactions with the kids. So yesterday, the fact that they didn't tidy their rooms was no big deal. Today, I'm hurt and frustrated with Byron and all. I'm just sort of like a psycho chasing them around, cleaning up their rooms. And they're just like kind of going, what's going on here? <laughs> and what was the difference? The difference wasn't in, in them, the difference was in my state of peace or lack of peace. Laura, what about you? Yeah, so an emotional injury that I've had and how it's led me to hurt others. And I think I've talked about this before on another episode. So apologies if you've already heard this. <laughs> but an early emotional injury that cut me very deeply was my best friend in primary school uh, at the time told me she didn't want to be my best friend anymore. And I remember it happening like in class and I was just devastated. And I don't think I learned a thing that day. I was just consumed with this emotional injury. And I remember just putting up a wall that day and pretending that I wanted to pretend that this news didn't affect me and I wanted to show her that it didn't affect me when it did. So I held in my emotions the whole day and I thought I did a pretty good job of doing that. But I remember the teacher asking me, Laura, is there anything wrong? So obviously I was not doing a very good job of <laughs> of hiding my, my distress. And I just said, no, I'm fine. I didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to crack the facade in front of the teacher, but I was just distraught. So after like hearing the words and processing them and realizing that my best friend was serious, she wasn't joking, I was just like, okay, fine. I'm going to find a new best friend. <laughs> and so I got up and went to sit next to another girl on the other side of the classroom who I, who I enjoyed her company. Fast forward today that the second girl I sat next to was my maid of honor at my wedding. We're still very good friends. But my original attention, like on reflection at the time of sitting next to her was actually to emotionally hurt the old best friend to show her that I didn't care and I was fine without her. And I don't think that was helpful for either of us, really. And I often wonder, like, if I was vulnerable at that time and I didn't have that poker face reaction, I wonder if the result would have been different. So if I had started crying and showed vulnerability, I wonder if she would have, you know, shown empathy and said, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. Look, let's still be friends, just not best friends or something like that. Um, but I'll never know because I, I guess I didn't trust her anymore with my vulnerability. So I just cut ties completely, which was painful to do. But I don't know, maybe it was the best option. I, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But when I finally got, I remember getting back home from school and just breaking down, tearing that mask away. And I think from that emotional injury, I found in other relationships, if there is any rejection like that, I am very quick to just cut ties and move on. So mm -hmm. it's interesting how that emotional injury <laughs> from primary yes. school has come into, you know, other relationships or in my marriage too. And so interesting that those instinctive kind of defensive 
reactions are present even in very young children, that it's not just something that applies to us as adults. It's not necessarily something we learn, but it's almost uh, like a, a spontaneous response that uh, even, even young children when exposed to a wound can do. And that, it's a really good segue actually into the next point, which is just the importance of being aware of childhood wounds, because we often have wounds from our childhood frustrations that are not resolved. And we can think that they're so much in the past, they're not affecting us anymore, but they actually continue to do so. They're very foundational because what they do is they form kind of like a lens through which we interpret all other events. So mm -hmm. the experience, to take a, a kind of an extreme or a negative example, um, say a disruption in the home life, perhaps um, this mum and dad separate and there is this sense of, oh, the family is not stable, there's no safety here, this is not the secure base that I thought it was. That creates, I guess, a, I guess a worldview for that child that doesn't sort of know how to interpret all the nuances of the complexity of the relationship between mum and dad. There could have been very good reasons for it. But all of a sudden, this child now is experiencing the world through that experience. And so an encounter like you had with your friend could be, while it was very difficult and, and devastating for you, it could be catastrophic for a child in that circumstance because it's right. a reinforcement. It's now confirming that feel, that terror, that the world's not a safe place. Mm. So it sets us up for even more wounding in the future. And it also sets us up to, in some ways, misdirect blame. So when our spouse later on down the track in our adult relationships, give a really good example. I think I've talked about the espresso cups example before, but it's such a good example for illustrating how buying throughout these espresso cups without asking me, um, which we had never used, so it shouldn't have been a problem, but it really triggered a childhood wound, tapped into that wound. But I wasn't aware of that at the time. I was just blaming him for the fact that he had thrown out these useless espresso cups. And so if we're not kind of attuned to this childhood wound and the impact that it has, it kind of can help us. We focus on the wrong place. We start focusing on the behaviour, the present behaviour, the person that's triggered it instead of focusing on the original wound. Mm. Of course, on the other side, it's not to say that we never do anything, you know, as adults in our marriage that can't be construed as actually causing direct hurt. It's not to say that everything that happens in marriage is only because we had a childhood wound that it's tapping into. We're all sinners and we certainly make mistakes, fail to do things that we should be doing and so on. So I guess the question to ask then is how do we know if there is an emotional injury in operation? What are the common symptoms? So we have a wonderful inventory in the Smart Loving Engaged course which goes through some symptoms of emotional injuries. So one of them is distancing. So where you pull away from the one who hurt us, but we also tend to be more defensive with others too. You don't trust anyone as much when you're carrying these emotional injuries. Another one is assigning motive. So Byron threw out those espresso cups for a, a motive that wasn't his motive intention at all. He just was trying to declutter the home. It would be an example from what you used, Fran. Mm -hmm. Another common symptom is like growing the wound where you ruminate on it and repeat it again and again and it becomes bigger um, and more festering than it was originally. And then along with that is also burying the injury. So that is also negative where we tell ourselves, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm fine, and you stuff it down. You're trying to move on, but this injury is still there. It's just buried alive. The other one is taking it out on others where this emotional injury and is spilling over into other relationships that can 
be a parent with put downs and criticisms and just constantly nagging. We lash out or vent anger on anyone who crosses us, even in the smallest way. So you can see how that can become very toxic and you can turn into a person that nobody wants to hang out with. Mm-hmm. And then there's anger, apathy and also cynicism. These are things that I've really struggled with. But this is my kind of, I guess, go-to reaction. It's always a red flag for me. Anger can take kind of many forms. It can be sort of like just an irritability or a frustration. And we often think that because anger is kind of like an emotion, that it just has to be accepted for what it is without any challenge. But I've found that it's one of those emotions that we do need to interrogate a little bit because it's often masking something else like a deeper a wound or an injury. And the, it's a sort of like the hard feeling or the exterior um, defence that comes up to protect our interior, our ego, if you like, our interior selves from the vulnerability of acknowledging to ourselves and to others that we're just feeling wounded and hurt. And so apathy is another expression of that. That's kind of like, oh, well, I don't care. Like we just pretend, well, if you want to be like that, that's fine. It doesn't affect me. Whereas, in fact, it is affecting us. It's a wound there. And then cynicism is just, I guess, an expression of that that over time just erodes our sense of confidence in the goodness of people. So we we almost prejudge and anticipate ill will in others or in other people's relationships. So we lose a sense of hope because of the entrenchment of the wound in our lives and in our worldview. So all of those in different ways are kind of the symptoms of emotional injuries. And so if you find yourself, listeners, ever kind of feeling some of those things, that's really an indicator that there's some kind of emotional injury that's in operation behind those. So, Laura, I think my most common ones that I identify with is becoming angry and also sort of that rumination, that growing the wound, running it over in my head, what I'd like to say, um, what I should have said, you know, replaying the scenario. It's all common patterns for me that I've learned over time to I recognise as, ah, there's a, there's a wound at operation here. What about for you? What are your go-tos? Yeah, well, I think in my example before, burying the injury, so pretending everything was fine, I'm okay, I'm, I'm not affected by this emotional injury instead of being vulnerable and addressing it but also I think ruminating too like playing it over again and again in head which is growing the wound that's not helpful either if you can stop yourself from doing that and focus on the present and moving forward I think sharing that with Joe, like my internal emotional wounds from the past and what's going on and what's resurfacing from that and vice versa with him too, sharing it with each other so we're aware and being self-aware of those past injuries so that they're not affecting your present relationship or relationships Mm. with others. And then also, I guess, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you. If you are having a, that was out of the ordinary, why did I explode over that? Asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate, where's that coming from? That's really good. And it's really, I guess, that habitual um, state of mind that just kind of invites the Lord in to lead me, Lord, where do you need me to go? What are you trying to show me in this situation? Whether it's something as simple as I need the Lord wants us to grow in a particular virtue. So this is presenting us with challenges. Um, My little toddlers that are, you know, quite demanding at the moment helping me to grow in patience and forbearance and overcome sort of self-pity and so on. 
or whether it's actually something that's relates to a past injury that needs to be brought to the light for healing. So I think all of those things we can, if we approach them in the mindset of these are growth opportunities as opposed to this is an injustice and a trauma and it's a terrible thing, it's catastrophic, which can overwhelm us. And so listeners, we just invite you to think about where you might be experiencing some of these sort of intense emotions that are related to an emotional injury and just kind of reframe it as this is an invitation from the Lord to growth rather than viewing it always as a disaster or some kind of catastrophic harm that has been done to us to allow yourself to hold it open to the Lord so that the Lord can kind of enter into that space and uh, and lead you to redemption and to healing. Let's unpack that more after the break. Don't go away. It is easy to get discouraged when there is disconnection in our marriage. Arguments over petty incidents, too busy to romance each other, crowded with other responsibilities. All marriages go through periods where we need a breakthrough in our relationship. The Smart Loving Breakthrough course will teach you how arguments happen, how to manage them better or avoid them altogether. Understand your internal drivers and how your spouse is triggering you. Process the pain of past injuries, making you stronger and less reactive. Visit smartloving.org forward slash breakthrough. The Smart Loving Breakthrough course can be done by a couple or by an individual who is in a marriage that is in distress. Visit smartloving.org forward slash breakthrough to enroll today. Gift certificates are also available should you want to purchase the course for a friend or family member. Welcome back. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. To sum up, our topic today is forgiveness, and we've been talking about emotional wounds. Now we want to explore how that is linked to forgiveness, so this relationship between emotional wounds and forgiveness. And this is where I think our faith perspective can really help. So healing is something that we all need, and it's linked to forgiveness. And in the scriptures, we have many situations or quotes of not just physical healing, but also emotional healing. In Psalm 147. I love this psalm. He says, He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. Jesus commands us to forgive. And I guess the question is, why? In the Lord's Prayer, the forgiveness we get is dependent on our forgiveness of others. So we say, Forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And so it's kind of like the measure of forgiveness that the Lord will give to us is dependent on the measure of forgiveness we are prepared to give to others. And so this link between, I guess, repentance and forgiveness, giving forgiveness, granting forgiveness, and also healing is very closely linked. And one of the things that I find when I reflect on God's laws is that even though at first at first sight they might seem a little bit demanding or punishing, they're actually all orientated towards our well-being. Because we are created for union with God. And so the Lord's help us to become, if you like, more God-like. So for for union to take place, we have to become more and more like God. And so forgiveness is an essential part of that process of preparing ourselves or growing ourselves to become more God-like and through healing and through through the restoration of our integrity. So forgiveness is essential for healing and for the restoration of our integrity. We can't heal, though, without first letting go of the resentment and the desire to see the other suffer or be punished. 
And so I thought it'd be helpful, Laura, if we went through just some of the myths or the barriers that we might have to forgiveness, because a lot of people really do struggle with it. It's certainly been part of my story as well. And one of the myths is that time heals all wounds, that we kind of think that I can just deal with it. I'll get over it. I'm strong enough. I don't want to make a fuss. I'll just just let it go. Don't make a big deal. The thing is that time doesn't heal, it just gets us used to the pain and we tend to adapt our personality, if you like, almost accommodating the pain. And so it's a mistake to think that we'll just get over it. It's more like, um, I liken it to like a deep bruise. You might not even be able to see it on the surface anymore. The skin might look perfectly normal. But if someone gets too close or brushes up, that bruise still hurts and that's going to elicit a reaction in us. So time doesn't heal. It just gets us used to the pain. Another common barrier, if you like, is that unforgiveness tends to breed resentment. The reality is that love and joy cannot coexist with resentment. So allowing resentment to grow is in some ways punishing ourselves as much as punishing the one that hurt us. It's like a prison warden. It keeps us trapped in a prison of our own making. And it's not our fault that we got hurt, but if we want to get better and get free of the pain of the hurt, we have to accept that resentment is keeping us imprisoned. Some of you might have heard that saying resentment is a poison we take, expecting the other person to get sick. I'm not sure who said that, but it's a really good idea. This kind of notion of somehow we're punishing the other person by holding resentment against them, whereas in fact the people, the person we're really punishing is ourselves, and it's just uh, depriving us of joy and freedom. Another idea is that forgiveness requires letting go of our righteous indignation. When the wrong has been done to us, it's understandable that we feel motivated to seek justice and a sense of at least an understanding of the pain that has been done to us. That's kind of, I guess, a natural sort of reaction, but it can often inhibit the process of healing when it becomes kind of like an entrenched and protracted protracted process. So forgiveness really sometimes requires us to surrender our desire for retribution, even, and we're not necessarily talking about this really aggressive retribution that would inflict the same pain on the other, the whole eye for an eye kind of idea, which Jesus did directly challenge, could be just as simple as wanting them to understand how they hurt me. And we see that all the time in our culture of people who have been hurt deeply by victim of crime. And there's this need for it to be made public, how it's been hurt. And, um, and that's an understandable kind of instinct. But sometimes the other person isn't in a place to understand they might be dead, <laughs> they might have passed on, they might have been just not capable of expressing or experiencing that empathy. It might be dangerous for us to interact with them, that, that they mm. might be such a toxic individual in our lives that it might be uh, put us at more danger to interact and to kind of hold on to the idea that I can't let go of this until the other person understands how they hurt me. It's like holding ourselves captive based on the other person's readiness and that's not a healthy sort of space to be in. We need to take control of the situation and process our own healing without being dependent on the other person, uh, being willing or able to enter into a space of understanding. One of the things that's really important for people to understand is that the decision to forgive is not a decision to necessarily trust the person or to feel okay about what happened. It's not saying that there was no injury or that it didn't matter, or that it was not that bad, or wasn't as bad as I thought. It's not invalidating what happened. It's not forgetting or pretending that what happened wasn't important. Forgiveness and healing that follows will start to dull the memory. 
so that we can recall the incident without being consumed by the pain, but it's not going to make us magically wipe our memories as if the event never happened. It's also not giving up hope for justice, but it's more about trusting that God's justice will be done rather than thinking that the only way justice can happen is if I prosecute it, which mm. can keep us keep us in a kind of a state of entrapment. Another barrier that some people can have to forgiveness is the fear of being hurt again. But expressing forgiveness is not saying that we have to trust that other person. Sometimes trust needs to be earned through demonstrated reform behaviour. So this could apply perhaps in some couples or some marriages where there's been a major betrayal of some sort. It can be really difficult for you know a wife or a husband who's been betrayed to forgive if they think that that means that they have to trust the other person like they did before the event happened. They need, as part of their healing, they also need time. They do need to forgive, but they also need time for the trust to be earned back and to be demonstrated that the person is trustworthy. So I think we need to help people separate the process of forgiveness from the process of reconciliation and trust. They're two different things. Yeah, that's right. You can't have reconciliation without forgiveness, but you can certainly have forgiveness stand on its own as its own unique process and forgiveness is necessary for personal healing so that's the thing that we want to focus on initially in helping people kind of pursue as opposed to let's do the forgiveness and then let's make a decision around whether this is appropriate in the right time for us to pursue reconciliation. Laura that was a lot of chatting so why did you unpack a little bit or fill the gaps of things that I might have missed? I guess the other thing is knowing that it's a gift to ourselves, forgiveness, and it gives us freedom. So the other person doesn't even need to know that they have been forgiven. You can mm-hmm. have it as a private experience of forgiveness. Forgiveness is necessary to be able to be free to love. And I guess mm-hmm. the other thing is, I'm glad you explained, Fran, about reconciliation and forgiveness. They're two separate things and forgiveness can stand alone. I guess it's not about being a doormat, like being a Christian is not about returning to someone again and again who's hurt you and allowing that to happen over and over again. But I think it's about seeing the person who hurt you through God's eyes and having compassion for them, reframing the hurt and Mm. maybe even learning from it and and growing from it, giving some meaning to the suffering as well. And by Mm. forgiving them, the person that hurt you, it eases the emotional hurt and it gives you back that control. It can give you freedom from bitterness. Mm, Bitterness, that's a really good word to use as well, because it's nobody likes being in that state. It's so soul destroying, but it's often something that we don't realise that we've actually chosen for ourselves by the refusal to forgive or the refusal to explore the process of forgiveness. That's not to say forgiveness is easy. I mean, it can be really, really difficult. But there are, I guess, processes or strategies that we can use, the most important one of which is calling on the Lord and asking the Lord to help us to forgive. And there's some interesting research that I hadn't appreciated until recently, but yet understanding forgiveness is two different types of forgiveness, like decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness. So the decisional forgiveness is when we make the decision with our will to forgive and we can call on the Lord to say, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to forgive, help me to forgive this person or I choose to forgive this person in your name. That's the decision. We might still feel really churned up inside about it though and that's where the emotional forgiveness can sometimes take some time to manifest. Other times that the two are kind of closely linked and just saying the words is enough to shift to shift the heart as well. 
but sometimes we also have to allow for the fact sometimes the emotional forgiveness might take some time. And that's where I think, again, the role of prayer can be very important, but also perhaps some some help of a therapist or some good holy friendships in your life can can help with that process of the emotional aspect. And that's really when there's that emotional forgiveness that happens. I think in some ways the healing is comes pretty spontaneously after that. Yeah. You explaining the the will to forgive, like decisional forgiveness versus actually getting the release of the heart of the emotional forgiveness reminded me of a story I once read and it was about a husband whose wife had had an affair and left him for another man and had not returned to the marriage. And he was deeply wounded and hurt. But being a man of faith, he wanted to practice decisional forgiveness, even though the emotional forgiveness hadn't happened yet. But he didn't want to hold on to any any bitterness. So to help him practice that daily forgiveness, he changed his password on his computer to I forgive her, maybe with a few numbers, <laughs> I forgive her one, two, three. And so every day he was typing this in almost like a mantra. He was focusing, even if only for a few seconds each day on forgiveness, it became a daily habit. I forgive her. I forgive her again and again. And eventually that mantra helped him to release his emotional forgiveness. And I think for me, that's what I find. I think forgiveness is sometimes can be a recurring thing that you need to keep on Mm. with that decisional forgiveness. Like if it's springing up again, the emotions. So I think I'll forgive someone and move on. But sometime later, those negative emotions come up and you do need to process that forgiveness again so does that happen to you Fran oh yeah absolutely and in fact we've got a great little activity that we use in our breakthrough course that actually reflects that same pattern like saying the words I forgive you whoever it is I forgive you Byron and then when the resistance come back is reaffirming so it's the decisional forgiveness letting the emotions speak of the resistance speak and then acknowledging that but then deciding to forgive again and it's that's it's a a kind of guess it's a fast forward process of addressing each of those resistance or internal aspects of the wound that gives the wound a bit of a voice that can be acknowledged but then asserting our will over those emotions as well that just says yes you know like I hear that you're afraid of being hurt again but I'm choosing to forgive. I hear that you're, you'd like to be acknowledged, but I'm choosing to forgive. I hear that his behaviour was really bad, but I'm choosing to forgive. So it's a kind of a, an interaction between the decisional and the emotional forgiveness. It's a really fruitful kind of practice, I think, for people who are feeling just like, oh my gosh, I'm so stuck in this. I don't know how to, to get free of this and to move forward. And I use that strategy often in my life sometimes it's been very intentional I've got out a journal and I've written it down and other times I've just you know used it on the spot in the moment just access it really quickly and bring it all to the Lord you know kind of a disciplined mantra which I think Mm. is really powerful because it's sort of like almost the will saying this is what I choose to do I know I don't feel like it but this is what I choose yeah it works in a positive sense too when we're feeling challenged you know I choose to love you in this circumstance you know and somebody's being a bit difficult I choose to love you I choose to stay present this is really hard but I choose to stay present it's the sort of the that daily discipline of the vows that we're called to to just constantly affirm and use our will to recommit to that which we promised yeah that's so powerful and profound so let's just take a quick break there and we'll see you soon smart loving fertility There's a smarter way to manage your fertility, one that works with your body, your marriage, and your faith. Smart Loving Fertility is an online course based on the Symptothermal Method. 
It incorporates a unique blend of scientific insights with relationship frameworks and Catholic theology to foster intimacy and help you flourish as a couple. The course will allow you to grow closer as a couple, to raise a family and keep your marriage vibrant, manage your fertility naturally, confidently, and with more freedom. Visit smartloving.org forward slash fertility. Gift certificates are also available if you want to purchase the fertility course for a friend or family member. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about forgiveness and now it's time to get practical because theory is great, but how do we take all these ideas and put them into practice in our marriages, in our families and at work? Our practical take home today is just something really simple. It's the Jesus prayer and There's a couple of different forms of it. The one I use is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You can just repeat it over and over. You can use rosary beads if you want to do it in a very kind of conscious and keep track of the number of times. I just use it in my morning prayer. I usually say three at the beginning and three at the end. I also use it throughout the day when I'm feeling a little bit challenged. It works, I think, because Jesus forgives sins before healing. So there's this link between repentance, forgiveness of others and healing. Like the whole of those three things go together. This notion of appreciating our own need for forgiveness, which is the identification as a sinner, and then for being open and willing to forgive others, and then also experiencing the healing that comes from that process. So it's it's sort of like opening us up to this relationship of love and of healing and mercy from the Lord by acknowledging he is my saviour, I'm the sinner, he's the saviour, I need him. And so it's it's a it's a bit of a mystery as to why it is so effective, but I certainly would commend it to our listeners. It's a very simple way that if you're feeling stuck in resentment, bitterness, and unforgiveness, to just practice this mantra. And you know, you can say it 10, 20 times each time you go to the bathroom, why are you waiting for the kettle to boil or at the bus stop or whatever it is? It's an easy prayer to just uh, revisit multiple times throughout the day. Fran, I really like this prayer and I think that it what it does is it reminds us that of our intrinsic value, that Jesus always loves us because even though we're saying, you know, Lord Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner, it can seem a bit negative. It's like, you know, in this culture, it's all about being positive and, you know, affirmations of I'm smart, I'm beautiful, I can do it. Um, so for, to say a mantra like this, Lord Jesus, a son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, is it a bit negative? No, I think because when you when we're talking about us as sinner, mm-hmm. it's always in reflection to Jesus, our saviour, and who loved us so much, doesn't matter what we do, that we, we have his love and his mercy always. And so that reminding of our intrinsic value that we are loved by God, no matter what, it doesn't matter if you're in a hospital bed and you can't do anything for God, you can't evangelize or do any works of mercy. He still loves us even in our just by being, just by being alive, we are loved. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes where the cultural sort of positive self-esteem movement has become unanchored because it's moved away from this idea of self-esteem as rooted in our intrinsic value because we are the beloved sons and daughters of the Father to I'm good because I can do all these good things or I have all these skills or I have these strengths and these talents. And so the focus comes on what I can do rather than just our dignity in to whom we belong which is Mm. to our Heavenly Father. And so that ultimately when we pray this prayer and identify 
myself as a sinner. I'm acknowledging that I'm a sinner who needs a saviour and that that is how I relate to my Lord. And so it's it's a relational turn in a way. So it links me straight back to the mercy of, of Christ. So it's actually a very, it sounds counterintuitive. You might think when you just read it, somebody without faith will just see that prayer Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's easy for somebody who doesn't understand the theology to think of that as being, oh, that's a negative put down. That's a kind of an oppressive kind of prayer, but it's actually not. It's incredibly liberating because it elevates the power of the Lord and gives permission to the Lord to have power in my life, which is ultimately more real than anything that we can fabricate from our own self-esteem. Yes. Yeah, good point. And I think as well, repetition helps the message stick. And like the example I gave before of the the hurt husband entering again, I forgive her, I forgive her, that repetition of, of that mantra, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It helps us to truly comprehend what we are saying. So Jesus, mm. forgive me my sins and help me to forgive. Mm, good one. Yeah. I like that take home, Fran. Pretty easy to do too easy to remember it's no special tricks not even our own (laughs) (laughs) well I think it's time for a quick break but let's go to a song before we come back to answer some listener questions smart loving newlywed if you are recently married one of the most important things you can do for your marriage in its first year is to establish a habit of regular couple time smart loving newlywed is designed to help you do this The content is drawn from Smart Loving's acclaimed relationship courses, which are used by thousands of couples. They explore timeless themes and are full of practical strategies. We want to help you establish simple lifestyle habits that will nourish your intimacy and protect your relationship from decay. Once a month, you will get an email in your inbox exploring the topic and detailing an activity for you to do as a couple. This includes some individual reflection questions, instructions for sharing together, and something to do during the week. Schedule a regular date night with your spouse where you can explore the topic together over dinner or a glass of wine. Visit smartloving.org forward slash newlywed to enroll today. Hi there, friends. This is Radio Maria Australia, and it's time for Smart Loving Q&A. We get questions every day from wives, husbands and couples from around the world. Laura, I'm going to throw this over to you now. What have you got for us? Yes, we had a question from an engaged couple who asked, both of our parents are divorced and as we prepare for our own marriage, we are worried if this will mean that our own marriage will end in divorce. So that's a great question. And I guess I just say I'm so sorry because I know that divorce is such a traumatic experience for a family and it's often a very real Uh, emotional wound. So it's important to be aware of both your family of origin history, which you're aware of, and to understand that you wouldn't have been able to observe in your own family of origins and learn from perhaps ideal ways to resolve conflict or how a husband and wife in an ideal way would come to an agreement after a disagreement. So unfortunately, research does show that there are a higher incidence of divorce for those that come from families with parents who are divorced. But this does not mean that it's going to happen to you because every couple writes their own story. So your choices are more important than your history and your family of origin. So it doesn't mean that you're going to ignore your history or your family of origin, but you should really be very thorough about your marriage preparation and what you choose. And also to make time 
when you are married for continual marriage enrichment and opportunities, continually educate yourself and perhaps coaching as well from an older married trusted couple that you admire and respect and think, oh, wow, they're just a beautiful witness Mm -hmm. of marriage. And they could coach you to make sure that you don't fall into non-ideal patterns that you may have witnessed or experienced from your own family of origin. So that's what I would suggest. Just to reiterate, I mean, because this couple hasn't had good models of a workable matrimony in their history, really important that you seek relationships of very functional good models so that you can in some ways rewrite the expectations and the scripts because we're absorbing messages and expectations from that family of origin in a very subconscious way and just assuming that well this is the way we did in our family that must be the way men are supposed to act or women are supposed to behave so it's really important to try and get some counterbalancing models of a really solid example and witness of good of a healthy relationship that was good thanks Laura. Well, if you've got questions for us, you can contact us via the Radio Maria website or visit smartloving.org forward slash conversations. We'd love to hear from you. So before we sign off, we just wanted to share a blessing with you like we do each Smart Loving Conversation. So Fran, what is your bless you for this episode? Look, I'd like to call out Catechism in a Year by Father Mike Schmidt. Um, I think that's how he pronounces his last name. Um, Many of our listeners will be familiar with him from his Bible in a year, which was a couple of years ago. And it was just a really great way. And it's just keeping pace. And he has a beautiful, beautiful spirituality in a way of just opening things up and inviting the Lord in through his prayer. He's just a very holy, wonderful teacher. And so he's doing catechism in a year. I'm way behind. We're Today it's the 17th, so it's already 17 days into it. And I'm still on day three because I keep rewinding it to listen to it again if I miss something. There's so much richness there. So I really commend that. Um, you can find it on all the podcasting. I think he also posts it on YouTube as well. It's really worth listening to. Yeah, that's a great um, suggestion. In line of what we've been talking about today, I'd like to bless you with the Smart Loving Forgiveness video, which you can actually find at smartloving.org forward slash SOS, the URL. And it's just a beautiful little uh, short video on on forgiveness and an example of a couple who needed to forgive spliced with really practical tips and wisdom. So go check that out. So that brings us to the end of our time together. You can find more information, including links to our blessings, show notes and more at smartloving.org slash conversations. That's www.smartloving.org forward slash conversations. We're Francine Parola and Laura Kane from Smart Loving. We pray that you will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today and we lift you up and all your intentions to our patron saints. Our Lady Undoer of Knots, pray for us. And St John Paul II, pray for us. This is Radio Maria Australia. Goodbye.